0: The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11.
1: Former Western Victoria MP Simon Ramsey is on the line. Good morning, Simon. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Mitchell, and good morning to your listeners. Well, I heard my voice in the background when I called you up, so that's a little bit uh, disconcerting for a second there, but um, you've obviously been tuned in to some of the things we've been talking about in the first hour.
0: I have. I've um, listened to
1: all your presenters, actually, and um, they've all had a range of opinions and views about the world. We certainly have. Now, Um, to get started, the issue around climate change policy, this is firmly in the spotlight with the Glasgow situation, a lot of talk about what's happening with the nationals. I suppose my question is, if we're going to set a target for 2050, is that a worthwhile exercise? Is anyone going back to see what the parliament did in 1992 to work out whether what they proposed for today has actually come true or not?
0: It is a long way out, isn't it? It's a bit like our uh, new supposed nuclear submarines, which I think we're looking at twenty years um, before delivery date of the first one. So anything can happen between now and twenty fifty. But look, I actually am supportive of a, a target um, of net zero by twenty fifty. I think um, even putting a, a sort of a, a target and a provisional target for twenty thirty does concentrate the mind on um, us uh, reducing our greenhouse emissions. But, you know, it was all about global warming some time ago, Mitchell, and, of course, that terminology is not even used anymore. Mm -hmm. It's about climate change. But, you know, we as farmers, and I still count myself as a farmer, I think are much more attuned to what's happening in respect to climate. We're out in the weather every day. And, in fact, we, uh, I think, uh, are running... um, Full steam ahead in our, in our quest to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. We're obviously with uh, the land care movement and agroforestry and putting carbon back into soil and, and using better, uh, high yielding, uh, pastures is all, uh, helping the industry move to, uh, doing its bit to net zero. I was pleased to see the National Farmers Federation are taking a lead role also in supporting, uh, the zero, um, net zero by 2050 as well. So I'm a bit sort of, or a bit, I don't quite understand the argy-bargy that's going on with the nationals at the moment, given they're supposed to represent farmers in their uh, regional
1: electorates. With the farming issue, isn't the biggest part of farming just about the fact that we eat meat and, you know, cows and methane, that sort of thing, so really need to be cutting down our meat consumption if you want to get serious about reducing emissions? Well, you don't have to cut down meat consumption. And actually, you can cut down the
0: methane, which is produced by our animals. And we're doing that now with different dietary uh, uh, foods um, and supplements that uh, are put in uh, with um, some of the uh, food and even some of the grasses and uh, food stuff we're growing to feed the animals is all part of... uh, our commitment to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions through the reduction of methane, which is you know created through the the burping um, more so than anything else of, of an animal. So I see there's other ways we can reduce uh, our um, emissions uh, from farming, not just by stopping um, uh, animal production. And of course, you know, anti medics of the world, the um, Animal Justice Party, and others just want to stop meat production. Uh, uh, and meat farming or animal farming um, altogether. So they're on a different sort of strategy as, as far as their philosophical views go. But uh, from our from our point of view in relation to reducing greenhouse gas emissions from the farming industry, I think we're at the forefront of uh, grasping the new technology uh, that's available for us to do that.
1: With the national situation, I think they've got to be quite cognizant of who actually voted for them in the first place, don't they? Because it's a very fraught issue talking about climate change, for example, in Queensland. It's one thing to set a target for 2050, but you've perhaps also got to look at how do you get there and do you want to ban new coal mine developments like Adani, for example? Do you want to have an emissions trading scheme, a carbon tax? How are you actually going to go about reducing the emissions? And I think that's where uh, some of the disagreements start and where you may struggle to get everyone on the same page in the federal parliament.
0: Well, I think that's true. And I think people are getting confused if you went back to uh, even, you know, with the Abbott sort of uh, Rudd-Gillard-Rudd era where we did have a range of... um, sort of names attached to reducing greenhouse gas emissions, whether it was the introduction of a carbon tax and we had the emissions trading scheme and we had the carbon pollution reduction scheme then we had the emissions trading scheme back again. Um, You know, I think people are confused about how industry was supposed to participate under these uh, different schemes And the value that they get by actually reducing their greenhouse gas emissions, whether it was through, you know, the the mineral industry, mines industry or or agriculture or other industries. So it hasn't really been spelled out, you know, under what particular scheme may well encourage and um, sort of uh, appeal to those that... um, Uh, are looking to uh, get some value out of uh, investing in long-term
1: greenhouse gas emission reductions. How do you get the Nats then all together on the same page before the Prime Minister goes to Glasgow with what Australia's position is going to be on this uh, emissions reduction target and getting down to net zero by 2050, or maybe even setting interim targets, as you suggest, along the way? Which I think you really have to do if you're half serious, because how do you hold the current group of politicians to account? Because none of them are going to be there in 2050, you would suspect. Well, that's true. They'll all be long forgotten by then. Um, But my
0: my view at the moment is probably the the Prime Minister said nearly a month ago he had a plan. Uh, No one was quite sure what it was, um, but whether it was a plan to get the Nats on board to go to Glasgow with a net zero uh, target to Glasgow Uh, I'm sure there must have been more detail around the plan at that stage than that. Um, From what I'm hearing, though, that, you know, he will go to Glasgow with a commitment by... Uh, his junior partners, that they would support a net zero plan, but it's going to come at a huge cost, of course. I understand they're already looking at sandbagging a range of regional electorates that they currently have and currently want. Uh, There'll be a lot of money tied up to investment projects across regional Australia. Uh, And uh, I'm not sure what other ojibarj is going on, but I suspect, uh, you know, at the end of two weeks, and that's when the parliament's sitting, I think, this... uh, this uh, um, sitting off cycle, that uh, he'll go to Glasgow with a commitment. But we're on the bridges we've heard this morning um, from the National
1: Party about how they're going to come to that end. Did you hear Joel Fitzgibbon this morning? I think he was saying, let it be a f- sort of free debate in Parliament in a way. I don't know if that would ever happen. But uh, is that an idea to uh, test the numbers on the floor and just see what happens? Or is it all sort of a bit more choreographed uh, than that? Well,
0: I, well, it'll be interesting to see how it runs out. Look, there'll be a lot of grandstanding over the next um, two weeks. You can see in question time, I suspect uh, people will be very focused on, uh, well, certainly the opposition will be pushing uh, the, um, the government and the Prime Minister particularly to uh, commit to a plan and get the Nats on board. And then there'll be questions about, well, what deals were done to get the Nats on board and how much is it going to cost the taxpayer uh, to have them on board. And then of course you've got all the issues around the, you know, the, the pork barrelling and rorting that's been going on, on, uh, through these election cycles. So there'll be some sensitivity, particularly with ICAC running in, uh, New South Wales and I back in Victoria in respect to branch stacking and rorting and pork barrelling that goes on through these election cycles. And I think Tom Rowe had a fair spray about that this morning from what I heard on your program about pools and other things. Mm. There will be some sensitivity about what deals are done with the Nats in respect to any potential pork barrelling that might happen during the election cycle next year.
1: Just on that issue about the swimming pools, he talks about this idea of having uh, fiscal autonomy within the states, which is an interesting idea, but I just can't ever see the feds giving up that power. And I know that uh, Julia Gillard and Kevin Rudd were trying to take something to the 2013 election, a sort of referendum around extending the constitution further, I think, to allow the federal government to uh, deal with the the local council level of government. So I just can't see that ever happening. So I suppose the question is, would you ever get of that pork-barrelling and talking about swimming pools altogether? Well, uh, probably not.
0: Uh, Look, Tom, actually, and that's great to actually hear some candidates have some strong philosophical philosophical views about things. I mean, some of our current politicians, you wouldn't even know what they stand for apart from, uh, you know, getting grants to make announcements. But apart from that, I don't hear a lot of uh constructive well-researched debate on important issues of the day um from our sort of run-of-the-mill politicians and there's 10 of pre-selections coming up now i know the Liberal party has their there's open for nominations I'm, I'm hoping we'll get you know a higher caliber of debate in the parliament by some uh good uh, candidates that have some very strong views um about how best to make this place a better place. Uh, I'm, I'm not hearing a lot of that in the parliament at the moment, but in answer to your question, um, Tom's view of the world is that we don't get a fair contribution from uh, the income that's gathered by the Feds uh, as far as the state's concerned. And we have seen that with GST uh, split up of that pie, that Victoria rarely gets its fair share given population uh, density in numbers. Um And his view of the world is of course, the state should have more autonomous um, uh, ability or opportunity to raise revenue and rest reliance on the on the on the feds and I think by his uh sort of thought process was that would sort of remove some of the pork barrel that goes on with we see each election time but i'm not sure that'll be the case, Mitchell and certainly I think uh if tom's running a campaign on that he'll have to simplify his these arguments because I think, uh, you know, the the voters are kind of trying to
1: grasp all of
0: that through the election process.
1: Uh, hospital pressure. I'm assuming that you're concerned potentially around the pressure that our hospitals are under with rising case numbers and even reports today that there's more infections in Geelong or the virus is more infectious in Geelong for some reason than it seems to be in other places. Well, I know
0: there's a bit of a shuffling of the deck chairs um, from what I've heard at, at Grassroots level is that there's a lot of pressure on some of the, the departments that uh, you know normally provide other services than um, COVID patients, oncology, and a few others uh, that are sort of being pushed out into other facilities to allow the COVID cases to come in. So, we'll be sort of watch this space, particularly as. Um, as the restrictions are removed uh, how the hospital system will cope and I'm just hearing a little bit of chit chat that uh, the Geelong hospital um, services are under a fair bit of pressure and some of their traditional services are sort of being shunted into the private sector to deal with while they're trying to deal with COVID but uh, I guess we'll see um, more light on that you know as the restrictions are removed and
1: people are able to more freely move around. It is concerning if they're already under pressure now when the Burnett modelling indicates that there'll be a peak probably around Christmas, and that potentially sees us go to 3,000 cases a day. And they'd have to suspect that with a higher rate of vaccination, uh, you wouldn't have as many people going to hospital as a a proportion of the overall cases. But there's still a fair way to go in terms of increased numbers of cases, it would seem.
0: Well, yeah, it would appear so. I mean, we're still... um Certainly not trending down, I wouldn't have thought. No. We haven't had enough data to suggest that we're holding a line even in the number of uh, sort of daily transmissions. I think we're hovering around that 2,000 mark and have uh, for the last few days without any real, um, uh, you know, idea whether they actually going to sort of trend down. But, um, you know, it's, it seems to me that it's all about the vaccinations, getting that number up from... Uh, what are we about 65 now to 70 then to 80 uh, that will then start taking some pressure off the hospital system because even if people do contract COVID if they're vaccinated you know it seems unlikely they'll require any sort of significant care in hospital but um, I, I think uh, that the approach that the Andrews government has taken being fairly cautious and conservative, is probably not a bad approach I, I know our The opposition or the the Liberal Party of Victoria is keen to sort of have the Andrews government move more quickly and take on uh, board what's happening in New South Wales. But me personally, I'm sort of of you, we've uh, you know done so much and um, and come so far in in respect to the lockdowns that you know a a couple of weeks of being a little bit cautious probably wouldn't uh, hurt. But I, I do understand it's going to affect some of the. The retail and hospitality industries, the longer this goes on financially. So the quicker we can free up restrictions, the better. But, you know, it's just, with just, it's been a long haul, hasn't it? It's uh, over two years basically. And uh, we're, only, we're in the, in the straight and we've only got a couple of weeks to go before we, uh, before we meet the 80%, uh, Vax level, which will remove restrictions. So I'm um, sort of view. let's just keep a watching brief on what happens in New South Wales
1: before we go too gung ho here in Victoria. It'll be a Good feeling. I think for a lot of people, I know a lot of Melbournians are keen to come down to regional Victoria. That's if they haven't already, uh, because I think compliance is a big issue at the moment with uh, the restrictions and COVID fatigue, all that sort of thing. But Melbournians keen to come down here and a lot of uh, regional Victorians keen to go to Melbourne as well. So I think the one thing that we're looking at here in regional Victoria is when do we become one state again? And some people are projecting we may get to that 80% doubly vaxed figure at about maybe the 31st of October.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm hearing too. I think we're doing a really good job in getting those vaccination rates up and I hope it continues and I'm certainly encouraging people to get double vaccinated. I, I don't understand it myself. I, I was a bit of a late starter, but I've been double vaccinated for two months now and I just cannot understand how and why people are still unwilling to um, to get vaccinated. Uh, thankfully, a small population, but even so, I mean, they're just slowing the process down, uh, in respect to having us all vaccinated or getting as many, uh, Victorians covered as quickly as possible. So it was also interesting, Mitchell, the first time when I presented at a, um, a hospitality store over the weekend, I was actually asked to show my double vaccine certificate before entry. And, um, but you know, by the time you do your code and your, your uh, identification of where you've come from and now you show your double vaccine certificate, I think there was three processes I had to go through just to get in the door. So it seems some of our uh, hospitality uh, reception areas are now taking on that they want to see the double vaccination certificate before you can enter.
1: And they will do that uh, from... Thursday night I saw one place from around the corner uh, from where we are broadcasting from on their social media they said we're opening up to 30 people indoors but you have to be doubly vaxxed and our staff will be checking as you come in uh, to make sure on your Service Victoria app that it's all set up. I think you'll find there's a few people that will struggle to link the MyGov to the Service Victoria because there's quite a few hoops you have to jump through and people uh, I think struggle to use MyGov at the best of times so we'll see how that plays out but I think once you have linked it it seems to be a relatively straightforward Process and by the time we get to eighty percent double vax, I think a good thing will be that they won't have to check IDs anymore, and won't have to check that you're not from Metropolitan Melbourne.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because on the weekend I, I did bemoan the fact that I had terrible trouble uh, getting my double certificate, um, double vaccinated certificate onto my Service Victoria app, mm. uh, and we all got our phones out. There's about eight of us uh, and um, uh, at a picnic outside on my dad. Uh, and um, we had one of our 15-year-olds uh, take us through it very quickly yeah. uh, and <laughs> quite easily. But I can understand anyone that's not familiar with an iPhone or some of the technology that goes with it would really struggle to get the uh, vaccination certificate uh, uploaded onto your service Victoria apps. So all you have to do is push a button when you are asked to show your your, your bona fide certificate. So, yeah, I'm hoping uh, those people do have access maybe to the younger generation to help them through That process, because it wasn't easy for me, and I'm quite familiar with that sort of stuff.
1: Well, uh, really good to talk to you as always. We'll catch up again in two weeks' time, and who knows where we'll be then. Maybe by then we'll be one state again, and I know a lot of people, as I said, looking forward to going to Metro and vice versa, so it could be a very different landscape in just a couple of weeks. I think it'll be a different world, Mitchell. I'm looking forward to see how how we'll get there over the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Simon Ramsey there, former MP for Western Victoria.